Well, again, so glad to have you here today. I first want to say thank you to David Wright, who did a fine job last week uh, preaching through the early portion of Philippians chapter 2. I got a lot of encouraging words from many of you and I got a chance to watch it myself. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 2 again, the tail end of that chapter today. If you have a Bible, really want to encourage you to turn there and we'll get there in just a moment. A little bit of background again, you know, Paul is an aging man at this point as he writes the book of Philippians. He's been 30 years or so in ministry. He now finds himself in a Roman prison. It's his first Roman imprisonment, several letters he wrote from there. He was released and then ultimately he ended up in prison again and martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. At this point, he has three missionary journeys under his belt for a grand total of more than 10,000 miles. And if you want to know what that would be like, he walked the distance between New York City and L.A. four times in that entire journey. He planted more than 20 churches as far as we can tell. We don't know the exact number. Uh, and what we find is that few really in the journey walked closely and helped Paul. In the midst of all those churches, many of them, the letters you have in your Bible today, involved correction and rebuke and strong encouragement and so forth. And this is the most heartwarming, intimate of all of Paul's letters, Philippians is. And we learn that they were very, very close to him in chapter 4, verse 15, which we'll get to down the road. It says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, can you imagine? No church. He's got 20 plus churches at this point, but no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. What we're going to talk about today is really the depth of relationship in the body of Christ. We're going to look at the lives of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who he mentions in this passage that we will read momentarily. But at the end of the day, what we're going to look at, and I'm hoping that you will evaluate, and the reason why I gave you the card is uh, we're going to be covering a lot of ground today, more than usual. I don't usually give eight points in a message. That's a little overwhelming. But it does all hang together and want to encourage you. And as we walk through this time, you're to be asking yourself, do I live like this? Is what's true of Timothy and Epaphroditus true of me? Because what we're talking about is the key, the key verse in this entire book is Philippians 121, which says, for to me to live is Christ. And what we've talked about for our last two weeks and what we'll continue into the future in this series is, is when I declare to live is Christ. There are implications of what that means. When I have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, and I hope that you have, when you've received the payment of Christ on the cross for sin as your own, you receive the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you and dwell you. On this journey, as Jesus transforms you into his image, we've talked about that many times, that process of sanctification being conformed into his image. As each day I declare, for to me to live today is Christ. That Christ will live through me today. There are implications about what that might look like. Today, what we're going to talk about is the implications of deep partnership in relationships in the body of Christ for the sake of the gospel. And you'll be asked to consider eight different qualities in the lives of these men that we're going to take a look at and ask yourself the question, is this true of me? Do I evidence this? Does my declaration to live as Christ 
Does that manifest itself in partnership in ministry today like it did for these men in the book of Philippians? So we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, and go through verse 30. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, our first study. I hope to send him to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven character, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And then we shift to Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger And minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am eager, more eager, to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, many, because it is not a particularly theologically robust passage, might tend to read through it quickly going, oh, isn't that nice? Just some wonderful relationships in the body. And yet... Father, to slow down and take a few moments to consider what Paul has to say about these men in their powerful journey with him for the things of the gospel. Lord, each of us has been called to know you and to walk in community for the sake of the kingdom. We have been called, as it says in John 13, that they will know, meaning the world will know that we are your disciples because of the way we relate to each other, our walk together, our love for each other. And so the implication of the lives of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus are that we have clues, we have some examples, we have some principles that, well, that ought to be reflective in us. If we have declared for to me to live as Christ, Lord, there's nothing more powerful in the world than the body of Christ that walks together well, that loves each other well, that serves each other, that forgives each other, that does all of these things for the sake of the kingdom. And may we each be those people that the environment and the community of Reston Bible Church would be advanced for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in your great name. Amen. The Bible tells us that it seems Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ during Paul's first missionary journey. We'll show you a map. Paul went around the region, specifically in the area of what is now today modern-day Turkey. He had visited several cities that are close to one another, Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. And in that region, we know that Timothy lived because in Acts 16, starting in verse 1, it says this. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, This is now in his second missionary journey. A disciple was there named Timothy, who apparently came to faith in his first missionary journey. 
The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul picked up Timothy kind of on his way through, through the second missionary journey and into the future. Now, Timothy has become a very significant part of Paul's team. Timothy is mentioned in 2 Corinthians, in Colossians, in Philemon, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and was a representative of the Apostle Paul here in Philippians and in the book of 1 Corinthians. We perceive that Timothy was one, at least one of the pastors in the city of Ephesus, because in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus to guard doctrine. We also know that Timothy was a preacher because in 2 Timothy 4.2, he is told to preach the word. One of the verses that's on the wall in my office. Preach the word. Preach the word. And so there are critical things that we learn about Timothy in this passage, three of them in particular, about the qualities, the way Paul saw Timothy, that I urge you today to consider for each and every one of us if we are to walk deeply in the things of Jesus Christ here at Reston Bible Church. The first one is that Timothy, it says, was like-minded. Now, in the ESV, it says, for I have no one like him. I have no one like him. I must admit, I, although I typically use the ESV here on, during my messages, I believe that the, that the messaging here, the, the translation is a little light. It's a little light. The phrase actually means like-minded. I think the King, New King James translates it better. I have no one who is like-minded like him. And that word like-minded means to be of the same positive character. It's not like like-minded, oh, we're just the same. It's we are the same in a good way. We're the same in a positive way. We're the same in moving forward with character in our affections and in our mindset with one another for the sake of the gospel. It has the flavor of being magnanimous, being generous and forgiving quickly and easily. Stephen Lawson, in his book, Philippians for You, his commentary, he says that this word has a flavor of being one-souled, equal-souled. They're, they're soulmates, they're partners, moving forward for the sake of the gospel. Because so many others were not, Paul says, verses 20 and 21, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, that's Timothy, not many, for they, that is many others, all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. It is my passion that each and every person here that calls Rest and Bible Church their home would experience what it is to walk in like-mindedness with other people for the sake of the kingdom. Some of you have walked into, the, into church here today lonely. You don't have the relationships that you would like. And it is my encouragement to you to get involved One of the best ways to find people to walk closely with is through serving. We tend to think that small groups, and they are a great way to connect, but a a valuable way to connect is to walk shoulder to shoulder with others. And in those relationships, you walk deeply and you learn to walk together for the sake of the gospel. And that's what Timothy did. Last week when David uh, preached in my place, my wife and I were in Florida We were visiting friends, Pete and Cheryl. I started in ministry in 1997. My primary responsibilities at the time were to get people into small groups, small group Bible studies, home groups. One of my very first volunteers in 1997 was Pete. And now, more than 27 years later, Pete and I and 
my wife and his wife remain the closest of friends. And when we sit, we talk about what God is doing, what God is doing in our lives, what God has done in ministry. And we reminisce about the journey that we had in ministry together, the people that came to faith in Christ. At one point, I hired Pete to be part of the marriage and family team at the church. And together, we walked more than 50 engaged, more than uh, 50 engaged couples a year through the preparing for marriage class. And we hear from many of them still today about their journey in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you there are few things as sweet as walking into the future in the long term with other people who are like-minded for the sake of the gospel. And the question is, am I, are you a person who is like-minded, who has that positive character and affection for the sake of the gospel? Timothy was with Paul. Well, not only did Timothy declare for to me to live as Christ manifested itself in like-mindedness with the apostle Paul. Number two, Paul tells us that Timothy was reliable. Now the phrase there in the ESV is proven worth. It says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. And that word, that phrase is actually one word and it means dependable. The quality of being proven or reliable The Greek-English lexicon says to learn, try to learn the genuineness of something by examination and testing, often through actual use, to test it out. And in the testing of it, proving that it's actually true, it's valuable. Again, Stephen Lawson says the word here was used of testing a metal by putting it in a furnace in order to reveal if it was genuine metal or an imitation. If it were a false alloy, the substance would dissolve. If it were true gold or silver, the precious metal would remain. The true metal would be purer as a result of going through the fire. And what Paul is saying that Timothy was one who was tested in the crucible of time, the crucible of ministry, walking together. And in that test, he has proven to be reliable and dependable. And the call for you and for me today is if we are to walk together and declare For to me to live is Christ. The the outward manifestation of that is each one of us is being proven in ministry to be reliable for the sake of the kingdom together. I wear a gold cross around my neck. It was my son's. And he said, Dad, here, you wear this. And he he basically took mine. Uh, It was a silver one. And he said, every time I wear it, it's showing somebody, is that real? Is that real? Is that real? And he he got tired of people asking him if it's real. I said, well, do you even know what real means? He goes, I have no idea what they're talking about. We know 24 karat gold is considered pure gold. Unfortunately, pure gold is actually rather weak. And so most golds, most necklaces and things are filled with other kinds of metals as well. Many wear 18 karat gold, which is 18 parts gold and six parts something else. Now, if the six parts something else includes a little bit of bronze, that's when your neck turns a little bit green from perspiration. It's not that it's so awful. It's just that Pure gold, it's probably not, it's not that strong. And what Paul is saying here is that Timothy is like that pure, pure, pure gold that has been tested by fire and proven to be reliable. And I have to ask myself the question as I have declared to live as Christ, as I move forward, do other people in the body of Christ consider me to be proven and reliable for the sake of the kingdom? Well, Timothy is declared for to me to live as Christ. And Paul speaks of him and says that he is like-minded. He is reliable. And the third thing that he says of Timothy is that he is a true servant. 
Verse 22, it says, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. The challenge with this is that there is only one translation that I could find that translates this verse most accurately. If you go to BibleGateway.com and you fill in a verse and then you click all translations, you will get 63 translations of that verse. There is only one translation that translates this passage absolutely correctly, purely, and it's the complete Jewish Bible. And it says, like a child with his father, he slaved with me to advance the good news. See, this verse doesn't mean servant. It means slave. Servant is actually too light. It's too soft for what Paul is trying to say. Timothy was a true slave with me for the sake of the gospel. He laid it all out there. He submitted to Jesus Christ. He was doing this for the sake of Christ. Not just serving, but slaving alongside of me. And if you want to understand fully the metaphor of slavery in the Bible and serving Christ, I urge you to go back to a message that I preached in in March of 2021, specifically on the complex nature of slavery in the Bible. But slaving together, walking together in a way where we are proactively laying down our lives together for the kingdom is what it means to declare for to me to live as Christ. When Christ lives through me, I then have the capacity to lay down my life for the gospel with others side by side. You know, most would agree that the transition between the founding senior pastor of many, many years... And the next guy in line is a treacherous transition. You don't have to look far, even our our own community, to see a list of churches, and I won't name any of them, where the, the transition from the founding senior pastor to the next guy ended up with that next guy leaving within short order a handful of years. And the elders of Reston Bible Church knew that in their journey of sorting through the transition between Mike Minner of 47 years and whoever was coming next. I think most would say that it is best to try to raise someone up from within to make that transition, but that transition even so isn't without challenge. When it was determined that I would replace Mike in the senior teaching pastor role, one of my great concerns about that transition is that the fact that even though I was here for five years on the staff team, I was still the newest guy on the staff team. There are pastors and leaders and other staff who have, well, for whom this is the only church they've ever known. There are people on our staff team who met Christ here, grew up here, became a pastor here, and now are growing old here, watching their children raise their grandchildren here in this church. And my greatest concern was, would the staff team who have been slaving together for the sake of the kingdom welcome the new guy to be the guy who was taking this role. And I will tell you that to a person, every single one from staff people, long-standing staff people to new people to long-standing volunteers. I mean, there are people who have been volunteering at this church 
for 25, 30 years in the current role that they continue to possess. And what I've discovered in my journey so far in the last two years in my position is I can't think of another church that I've ever been exposed to with a group of people, both staff and volunteers, who lay down their life, who walk shoulder to shoulder, slaving for the gospel, not for their own interests, but for the interests of others and to a person. Each in their own way have come to me and said, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for taking the role. I have your back, whatever that might mean. Because at this church, there is something very unique going on. Because we have a lot of Timothys of like mind, of reliable character, and of a spirit that is to slave away for the sake of the gospel, not seeking their own, but the seeking of the kingdom. And I'm grateful. This is a special place. Paul now turns his attention to Epaphroditus. He's laid out several things regarding Timothy, and we're going to have to accelerate our time together here in just a few moments. We have five more to go, so stick with me. In verse 25, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, and minister to my need. The next one in our list here today is my brother. The word brother occurs 325 times in the New Testament, nine of them here in the book of Philippians in four short chapters. The book of 1 Corinthians, in spite of the challenges that the Corinthians faced, the 1 Corinthians is perhaps the harshest book in the New Testament where Paul takes the Corinthian church to task. And in spite of that, in the 16 chapters, the word brothers of intimacy occurs 35 times. The book of 1 Thessalonians, five short chapters, 19 times. Paul loved the word brothers. It brought a sense of intimacy, the image, the metaphor of human brothers, physical family, taken to mean spiritual comrades, an intimate family for the sake of the kingdom. We see it a couple of times here, even in the first chapter of Philippians, where it says, I want you to know, brothers, my siblings in the Lord, those who are of intimate family to me, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Two verses later, verse 14, he says, and most of the brothers, those who are part of our spiritual family together, those who are walking for the sake of the gospel, like-minded and reliable, have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The idea of taking the metaphor of the physical family relations and translate it to the people of God. We see Jesus initiated that for the first time in the New Testament in Luke chapter eight, where he says, then it says, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told your mother and your brothers, your literal physical family are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The people who live it out, the people who live it out together, who understand what my command is, those who have said for to me to live is Christ, and then to live it out, those are my spiritually intimate siblings in the body of Christ. And I ask myself, am I living as a spiritual brother to those around me in the faith? I have three siblings. I have two brothers and a sister. And I have to tell you, not so much my sister, but my brothers, when we were young, we fought all the time. All the time. 
I remember one day my brother, my oldest brother, Jack, called my dad and he said, Dad, um, I, need to prepare, I need to repair a hole in the wall. And he's like, okay, well, there's, there's spackling in the, in the garage. We've done this. You know how to do this. Go out and get it. He goes, no, Dad, we're going to need more than that. And my dad said, well, how big is the hole? What did you make the hole with? And he said, I made the hole with Jeff, meaning my younger brother. He literally put my brother through the drywall into the crawl space under the dormer window in our bedroom. We fought a lot, but now here in our adult years, all four of us love Jesus. We love each other. We walk together well. You know, my wife is an only child. And when our two children were young and were fighting, she was convinced that they could not possibly be Christians. She's like, honey, they, and I said, I said, but then I said, honey, you are an only child. You have no idea how this goes. And today, thank the Lord, my children are both following Jesus and they love each other and they love each other well. And for many of us here today, the physical reality of our family may make it difficult for us to understand the spiritual metaphor of what it means to walk as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the way families were designed to live, designed to have intimacy, walking shoulder to shoulder, having each other's back. And Paul says that Epaphroditus is like a brother. And the question for you and for me today is, as I have declared for to me to live as Christ, am I living as a brother or a sister with those in Christ? Number two, Paul says that Epaphroditus is a fellow worker. Now, this, is, this phrase is one Greek word. It is the word synergos from which we get our word synergy. It means working together in harmony. Synergy is the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements. Remember several weeks ago we talked about Clydesdales, right? Under a yoke together. We said that a single Clydesdale can pull 8,000 pounds. But two Clydesdales together well in synergy can pull not 16,000 pounds, the sum of the two, but 32,000 pounds. There's something that happens when we walk together and work together well, each doing our part, different, but contributing to the greater good, a fellow worker. How many people love jigsaw puzzles? You love to put together that thousand piece puzzle. Oh yeah, okay, all five of you. That's excellent. All right. I'm with the rest of you, right? You put it all out and you turn it all over and then you pick up nearly a hundred pieces before you find the actual one that got, I'm like, who has time for that, right? If you go down to Ridgetop Coffee just down the road and here in Sterling, they have a table uh, that could be actually be used for seating, but is wasted with a jigsaw puzzle on it that people just, I guess people just like, while they're waiting five minutes for their drink, they, what, they find the right piece? That never happens for me. But when you see all these pieces, each individual piece, there's not much to it. It's meaningless from one perspective. Ah, but when you put them all together, when you bring synergy, when they work together to create the beautiful image that's on the front of the box that some of us never actually see in real life on the puzzle because we never get there. Each one doing its part together because we are better together than we are apart. And Paul says Epaphroditus 
is a spiritual sibling who works well, contributing his part for the sake of the gospel. The third thing Paul says about Epaphroditus is that he is a fellow soldier. Now this phrase too is one word. There is a word for soldier. This isn't it. This is a variation of that word. A soldier is just a a man who is in the military. This word is fellow soldier. It implies deep, meaningful relationships and trust. It's the one who has your back when the chips are down. It's being in the battle together and recognizing that you are in there with someone who's risking their life just like you are. One of the guys in my small group who's a part of our worship team was a captain in the military and saw combat in Iraq. And he said, the average civilian finds it very difficult to understand the depth of this term. Most of the time we use things like the the football team or whatever to talk about working together in synergy. And there is that. You do have each other's back and so forth. But there's something that starts in basic training that is deepened by actual combat that takes this I've got your back sort of idea to a level that most of us here today do not understand but is the essence of this word. And when we walk together in the spiritual battle, go back to Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God, walking together in the fight for Christ, the spiritual battle. Oh, when we battle together, when we face the enemy together, when we pray through difficulty together, when we tackle the hardship of life together, If you remember that series on the armor of God, we talked about the shield that represents the shield of faith. Remember, this wasn't the shield, that circular circular shield that looks like, you know, Captain America. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a four to five foot tall shield that was, that primarily, that covered almost the entire person. And that those shields were able to interconnect with one another so that all of the soldiers together could, could create a wall moving forward together in synergy Caring for one another, deeply working together for the sake of the spiritual battle. Paul says Epaphroditus is like that. He's a fellow soldier. And when each of us declare here at Reston Bible Church, for to me to live is Christ, one of the implications of that in our relationships together is that we would walk deeply in such a way that we are fighting the fight together and that we know and that we can trust that we are reliable dependable, that we are slaving away, laying down our lives, not with, for selfish gain, but for the sake of the kingdom. The next thing that Paul says of Epaphroditus is that Epaphroditus, he's your messenger to me. Remember in elementary school, long before email and texting and so forth and so on, there were certain kids in the class who who seemed to rise up above the rest and level of trust and they were able to take a message to the office or to another teacher or, or whatever. And, and I'm like, I never got to do that. I mean, you know, what, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm trustworthy. The idea of being a messenger on someone else's behalf because of a level of trust is the essence of what we're talking about here. The word here is actually apostolos, which is the word we get for apostle. Now, this isn't the official title apostle. We have those. We have the apostles that Jesus named. He took from among the disciples. He named 12 his apostles. And then Paul was an apostle. He referred to himself as the one untimely born, right? He came in later. 
But this word is actually more of a common use word as well. In daily living, when one who represents another with a message is their ambassador, if you will. In John chapter 13, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is an apostle in common use, a messenger who represents someone else, greater than the one who sent him. The reality is that each of us, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, then you are a messenger. You are in this common use sense, an apostle for Jesus Christ representing him. And we are doing that together for the sake of the kingdom. There are several words that are, that the word messenger is used to describe. Another word that we translate as messenger in the New Testament is the word angelos or angel. Someone who simply carries a message or something that carries a message. Interestingly enough, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger. This was sending a message. This is angelos. It was sending a message to me to keep me from being conceited. The word we're talking about today is different. It's a message, but there's a messenger who is a representative of the one who sends. Since 1988, I have had the privilege of being a part of the National Prayer Breakfast. I've seen many, many powerful speakers over the years. In 1994, I watched Mother Teresa present a powerful message that morning. In uh, 2006, I watched Bono uh, be the keynote speaker at the National Prayer Breakfast. That was interesting. Um, The following year, Dr. Francis Collins not only spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast, but he brought his guitar and he sang a song, which I had actually expected the year before. With Bono. And then in uh, 1997, as well as in 2013, Dr. Ben Carson was an amazing, amazing communicator for the things of Christ at the National Prayer Breakfast. But the thing about the National Prayer Breakfast, apart from all the amazing speakers, are the messengers and dignitaries that come from all around the world to represent those from whom they have been sent. Ambassadors. Representatives of heads of heads of state. One year I had an opportunity at a breakfast gathering to sit next to one of the members of the Israeli Knesset and talk about the dynamics of what were going on in Israel at the time. And to a person, each one recognizes that they aren't coming to represent themselves. They are coming to represent the one who sent them. And the body of Christ should be filled with people who first declare for to me to live is Christ. And then to recognize that like Epaphroditus, we are sent. We are sent with a message. We no longer represent ourselves. We represent Jesus Christ. And everything that I do, everything that I say, how I forgive, how I encourage, whether it's to another believer or to someone who is not. My wife and I went out to dinner on Valentine's Day. We went to one of our favorite restaurants, Sweetwater Tavern, right here in Sterling. And our uh, waitress was a a lovely young lady, and we got talking to her and ended up inviting her to church. And it was just, it it was a really wonderful time. And my wife looked across the table at me as we were kind of wrapping up. She said, you better tip her well. 
In other words, you just talked about Jesus, right? Now, don't be cheap. That's going to undermine everything that we've just done. I'm like, okay, 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 got it. Because she, she's the generous one and I'm the cheap one. So that's why she said that. Because she knew that I just kind of could use a little reminder that you are a messenger of Jesus every minute of every day. And we should live that out together. Paul says that Epaphroditus is like a brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger. And lastly today... He is a minister to my need. Now, this is a fascinating word, the word minister. The word is litergos, and it's the word from which we get the word liturgy. Now, most of us consider liturgy kind of the the high church sort of structure of a church service. But really, in reality, liturgy means the priestly duties. It really harkens back to the Old Testament priests. When they go to the temple to perform their holy duties... Paul is saying that Epaphroditus was your messenger to me to minister or to execute the holy duties of the kingdom on your behalf to me. Can I impress upon you the reality that every single person here today who claims the name of Jesus Christ has a set of holy duties that God has called you to execute that you are a minister you are a minister our pastoral staff team are called ministers but that must not undermine the reality that every single person in the body of christ is a minister we have ushers today who stood out there and greeters who greeted and shook hands on of people on the way in you have a holy letergos a ministry to execute that is holy unto the kingdom to help grease the skids, if you will, to help invite people in so that when they get here and sit down, they are prepared and they are ready and you are here to problem solve. If you are at the welcome desk, it is your job to problem solve and to encourage and to guide, to execute your holy duty for the sake of the body of Christ. Each Thursday when I leave the office on Thursday afternoon, the cars for our uh, our, our, uh, yes, suddenly I'm spacing, our, our, our pantry, thank you, what's my problem? You know, the food pantry are starting to line up. And Joan and her team, they don their reflector vests and they get all their bags together and they are executing their holy duty of providing food resources to people in our community with need. We have... Those who are involved in quest, they serve our children and they execute their holy duty to communicate God's word to our children. And then some of them, they do the unimaginable. They come back and do it again at Awana at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And I'm sometimes here on Sunday afternoons and there's kids running everywhere and there's people sitting in the hall memorizing Bible verses and I just kind of, as I'm walking out, just say a blessing. God bless these people for doing what to me would be absolutely exhausting as they execute their holy duty to the Lord. And it's my challenge to you today in the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, If God has called you to be his servant, why stoop to be a king?
Whatever God has called you to do in the body of Christ, you execute it as unto Christ, side by side with those who he has called you to serve alongside of. Paul had declared, for to me to live is Christ. I believe Timothy and Epaphroditus declared, for to me to live is Christ. And in this not-so-theological passage, relationally deep passage, we find some pretty important, significant nuggets about how it is that we ought to express in our walk together with Jesus Christ what it means to be a community that walks in Christ, declaring together for to me to live as Christ. There are eight of them. We'll put them on the screen, and I hope that you take some time today to evaluate, to look through these and go, yeah, that, I love what the Lord has done in my life in that regard. But here's one, two, or three that, wow, Lord, would you please, would you please accelerate that in my life? Lord, am I like-minded? Do I have the same character and mindset as Paul and Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and others here at the at Reston Bible Church? Am I reliable, proven, consistent, and dependable in my service to the kingdom? Can other people trust me? Am I a true servant? Do I slave selflessly away for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, not seeking my own? Am I like a brother with a relational depth, taking that metaphor of the physical family and transferring it into the spiritual family? Do I live like a brother or a sister with those in the body of Christ? Am I a fellow worker diligently laboring, working alongside of others? Am I a fellow soldier? Do I have the back? Can I be relied upon in that regard to walk alongside of others in the body of Christ for the sake of the kingdom? Am I a representative? Am I an apostle, as it were, in the daily use of that word, a representative of Jesus Christ, that everything that I do is reflective of him, both in my interactions with believers and unbelievers alike? And finally, am I taking seriously the ministry that God has given me, my holy responsibility before him to serve in the body of Christ in a way that is impactful for the sake of the kingdom? What is it for you? How does God want to use you and engage you and infuse what you have to offer into the body of Christ? That we here at Reston Bible Church may elevate all that we are together individually and then corporately together so that the world might say, wow, they are the disciples of the living Christ because of the way they love each other and the way they manifest their journey together. I'm going to challenge you, if you are not connected to a ministry or not involved in serving in some way, one of the best ways to accentuate each and every one of the things that we've talked about today is to find a team to be a part of, find a way to serve, find something that God has called you to do and do it, walking alongside of others for the sake of the kingdom. And if you are with us today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, it is my hope that you long for all of these things to be true. But prior to all of this is doing business with Jesus Christ. Coming before him and recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a savior to begin with. And that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and that you need to receive that. It's a proactive choice on your part to embrace the gospel. That then the Holy Spirit would come and indwell you and then move in and through you working for the sake of the kingdom. And I pray that you would consider the gospel of Jesus Christ here today. Father, thank you.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the relationships that we see between Paul and Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus and Paul and the Philippian church. And I pray and I thank you so much for the environment here at Reston Bible Church where so many walk so faithfully together, where our pastors and our staff team and volunteers work so faithfully, so selflessly for the sake of the kingdom and see many, many of these things manifested in our journey together. God, may we be a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom of God because we all, each one declare, for to me to live is Christ and that we live out each and every one of the things that we've been talking about today. We pray in your great name, amen.